You're listening to Puck and Roll. Welcome to episode 10 of the Puck and Roll podcast, season two. Today, we are going to have an episode where we take a look back, in a sense, and look at, for instance, the past year, because the Habs management, uh, the, the new Habs management, has been in place for just over a year now, uh, with Jeff Gorton's hiring. Uh, we will also look into the future, so we will look at some potential trade ideas, just brainstorming. Uh, thinking about Yuri Savkovsky going to the World Juniors, and maybe theorizing the goal and point totals of the Montreal top line. Uh, I'm joined today by Josh, Aaron, and Scott. So we have a full panel. Uh, How's it going, guys? Can't complain. Same here. Can't complain. All good. Everyone sounds ultra-energetic today. I think for the first topic, let us let let let's take that look into the past. What in in your minds are the is the best move that Habs management has made, and what is the worst one? Ben Sherrod, no question. Best best move that like selling high, getting a first rounder as well as more value on top of him is just insane, especially when you look at what he's doing this year with Detroit and bringing down one of the most promising defensive prospects in the league right now with his play. It's quite impressive, actually. It's Yeah, and then we got a first-round pick for that. That's just unreal. Like With other players like Toffoli, I could see more value. Lekkonen was... I think undersold at the trade deadline last year. Like no question, getting Ben Sherratt is has been the best thing for sure. I'm gonna agree on Ben Sherratt, just because if we look at the Claude Giroux trade, they put top ten protection on their 2024 first for one of the best players in the league, and they gave an unprotected 2023 first for Ben Sherratt. Like that's just it's, it doesn't even make sense. I'd say if we're looking at, like, future value, I mean, obviously, like, Sherrod can be seen, like, if we're going back to, like, past moves, one that the Habs ultimately went out on, and you could say that it's kind of the similar way that the way they went out with the Philip Deneau, with the Philip Deneau trade, sending Dale Weiss and Thomas Fleischmann for Deneau and eventually Osner Romanov. But I think if we're looking at, like, future value, I think the best move is Sean, Mon- Sean Monaghan, to be honest. getting a, Not only getting the first-round pick, but getting Monaghan with that first-round pick just because the Flames wanted to dump that contract. And when the Habs first acquired Monaghan, I kind of, I had a feeling that Monaghan was going to be 
a good player here in Montreal. And I saw that this guy once put up 82 points in a season. He once had that combination of Johnny Gaudreau and Elias Lindholm, and he was once a really talented player. And of course, injuries have slowed him down. But the way, the way he's playing this year, I think Montreal could easily get a first-round pick for him at the deadline, and I expect them to honestly do just that. I'm going to go a different route with this. Drafting uh, Lane Hudson? Ooh, close, but no. I'm going to go with uh, three hirings that the Habs have made. Um, I, I could say Marty Saint Louis here for sure, but I'm going to focus on uh, Chris Boucher, Marie Philippe Poulain, and uh, Adam Nicholas. I think that those three hirings set up this team so well in terms of development. And development is a thing that just was run into the ground by the Bergevin administration. Like it was awful. Like we, we couldn't develop any prospects and adding an analytics department led by someone as intelligent and competent as uh, Chris Boucher is incredible. Uh, adding a current legend of the game and uh one of the best players in the world to your development staff in Marie-Philippe Poulain was an incredible hire. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still very, very impressed that the Habs managed to, to snag her up uh, because she will be able to teach so much in terms of, uh, of skills development, but also just like how to play in high pressure scenarios, because we've seen this through her entire career. There is no more clutch player in hockey than her. Like no one comes close. Uh, she's scored what? How many gold medal winning goals? Like it's it's been like what four? It's been way too many, right? Like, like she she's just tremendous. And Adam Nicholas <laughs> is the perfect person to lead the development team for this for this organization. Uh, he analyzes the game extremely well, uh, but he also conveys his analyses in a very, very easily digestible way for players and that, that they can actually learn to, to, to use what he sees, right? Because a lot of people are intelligent and, and, and can make good analysis, like good hockey analysis, but conveying that to players and encouraging them uh, while also pointing out what they are doing wrong, it, t- it takes talent to do that. And, and Adam Nicholas has a long track record of tremendous success uh, in player development and everything we've seen of him in this organization, every comment he's made, every interview he's had, uh, even the the little video that, that came out of him in practice has just been so impressive to me. So while yes, these, these trades like Kirby doc trade was also tremendous. Um, they're great, but I think that where you get the most long-term value is in these off ice hires. I like that. Yeah, that's, that's going, a good view. Going, going a bit, bit unconventional with that. Um, and that, now for the other side of things, what's the worst move? Honestly, I can't really pick out a move that I would say that Hughes has made so far that I would say is how to say like definitively. I would say like a mistake, especially if like considering the players he's managed to pick up so far. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that the Habs are struggling with or maybe are trying to unload is just leftovers from when Bergevin was trying to re, uh, rebuild the team so quickly in the aftermath of that Stanley Cup Finals run in the pandemic. He signed a bunch of contracts. Obviously, David Savard's been playing very well this year, but a lot of the contracts he signed were seemed like very 
rushed attempts to try and patch up the lineup and make this team competitive in just too short a span of time. And honestly, I've been impressed with what Hughes has managed to do and how he's managed to kind of turn around those acquisitions and make them into players that, well, guys who we won't be able to get a huge return for, we can at least get something for, especially guys like Mike Hoffman, who obviously started the year so poorly and then kind of rebounded in the past couple of games. I'm going to steal Sebastian's pick because I have a feeling I know what he's going to say. The hiring of Nick Bobrov would be my pick for the the worst move because look look at his track record. He made some terrible picks in New York. And I, I'm not going to pretend I'm not a fan of Vitaly Kravtsov, but at seventh overall and then Lies, oh wait, no, Vitaly Kravtsov was ninth. And then Lies Anderson was seventh. That's just a mess. Yeah. Keandre Miller's looking good, but really, like, I, I feel like he is the one reason that the New York Rangers aren't even further into the contending sphere because they would have that veteran core and they would have an even better youth coming in. And also, just not doing anything with Josh Anderson yet. That, like, something has to give there. I think that that second point is the one that I was going to go for. I, I think that, that, if if Hughes does decide to hold on to Josh Anderson beyond the trade deadline, that that's going to be a big mistake. And Josh Anderson has such tremendous trade value relative to what he brings. I, I think I think he he is a useful player to have. It's more just that I don't think his value actually reflects what he brings in terms of value. Like he is he is a very he's fun to watch when he's on. He's a third-line power forward with a good wrist shot uh, who can drive the net occasionally extremely well. But if you can trade that to get a first-round pick and more, and he's signed for, what, five more five seasons? More years. Five and a half million? You have to do that, I think, right? Like, I, I don't really see a world where you hang on to Josh Anderson and get any better value than what you, what you would get in a trade right now. Outside uh, of his locker room presence. I mean, outside of his locker room presence, I'd say that Anderson, the thing about Anderson that like, I feel like you'll see his value is just what he brings to this team in terms of its chemistry and the way he influences the other players and like the attitude he brings obviously to the ice. But I think I agree with what you said. So just in terms of his production, he's a player who he gets, how do I say, he gets a lot of support and he gets a lot of praise for things that maybe can be seen as more, Sometimes on, sometimes off. It's again, it's a Brian Savage type of player that the Canadians have had way too many times and I've dealt with too, way too many times, I would say. Or even like, like, like Yul Armia, right? Like, like Armia is almost like Anderson, but is on less, right? And, but and, also Armia and, and puts up tremendous defensive results by comparison. Like, like not, not tremendous, but Armia puts up far better defensive results than, than Anderson does. Anderson's an absolute black hole defensively. But uh, even when Anderson's Ar- Armia, off, he's still. That. He's still on in terms of his skating and his speed. When Armia's off, you tell that he's just not in the game. He's just invisible. True, true, but however, at least when Armia's off, he's not a net negative. He will yes, play well enough defensively point. where he's not hurting your team. Josh Anderson, when he's off, is actively hurting your team. Yes, by, I will agree with that. Right? And, like, look, again, I like Josh Anderson. I I don't like holding on to Josh Anderson at $5.5 million for five for five seasons when you could trade him for a first round pick or even more. So, well, especially with considering with what the Habs is like, imagine if the Habs had held on to Domi and then had not traded him for Anderson. Yeah. Place. Where would Domi's value be four years down the line? Max Domi's never been able to, he's never lived down that 72 point season. He's never lived up to it. He's never lived it down. So, yeah. But again, it's not even like that. 
big of a negative, right? Because again, we're, we're saying something that, that could yeah, still happen, right? Like, like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to find like an, an actual bad move here. I guess, I guess I, I don't want to call it a bad move. It's just me, me the riskiest move that, that the team has made was picking us of Koski at one. I'm not saying it's a bad move. Uh, I, it's, it's not what I would have done, right? But it is risky. And I don't know if it's a risk that, that I, I like and that it wasn't a risk that I loved at the time at, at the time of the draft. But again, it's not a bad move. And I think that, at least for me, shows how decent of a job this management group has done in terms of, of, of bringing this organization forward and accelerating a rebuild. Because I can't think of a single move that is like, like, like clearly bad. And with Bergevin, every year you had at least one or two moves that were like awful. Right. But sorry, Josh, I cut you off there. So you, you, you go ahead. No. Yeah. I was going to say that out of all of them, I think not just picking Slavkovsky, but the way that they've been handling the situation again, it's yeah. not the worst the thing line. in the world, but on the fourth line, they've treated it well enough with the whole um, talking to the media saying like it's a learning experience even if it's just 10 minutes a game it's 10 minutes of learning experience but I think that that would serve him better in the minors when he's getting he's yeah. still playing against good like these aren't scrubs down there they're good hockey players yeah. and he's going to be learning more and getting even more confident down there like again it's not the end of the world it's not signing Alsner or trading for Drewen or any of those things but I it's there's two kind of decisions that I think are hurting them but it could still all work out if Slavkovsky hits like he can yeah and speaking of of like youth in in, in the Habs team which prospects do you think that Habs management could be open to moving? Because this team has a lot of prospects and they're not going to be able to sign half of them, let alone all of them. Are there any names in there that, that, that you guys think could be interesting trade bait, whether it be for uh, a draft pick, uh, a, a package deal to get a young player, uh, or even acquiring a veteran if the Habs decide to go down that route, whether or not that's the right choice. But are there any prospects that come to mind quickly? I mean, you know what I'm going to say, rather. Oh, I mean, I I had the same idea as you here. Yeah. And Joshua Wall. That okay? Yeah, I mean, I can I can see both of those. I'm definitely more on like the the, the trade kidney train than the the trade Joshua Wall. But, but I argue one. I can, see, I can I see why for both. I'd argue Wa especially is just one of those players where it's like, it's like, again, going back to a player that I, I don't know why I keep bringing this guy up as a prospect so much just because of his story, I guess, but with, with, with Lucas Edmonds, like we've talked about him with the lightning in the third round. Yeah. I'd say Joshua Wa's situation is kind of a similar thing where he's a guy who produced so well in his overage season and we just don't really know where the hell his value could be. So I mean, the, 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 the massive difference there is that Lucas Edmonds produced insanely well as a 21 year old. And Joshua Roy produced insanely well as an 18-year-old because he he his birthday is in August, right? <laughs> like he was 18 for his entire D plus one season. Uh, so there is a three-year gap there between those two players. Um, it's still one time, of those guys who you don't really know like what their ceiling is. They're kind of a random player because Wall came into his own after the Habs drafted him, right? And that's kind yeah, of yeah, yes, yes. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't agree that we don't know what his ceiling is. I think that 
there, there, there's an off chance he becomes a second liner, but I think in all likelihood, he's going to be an intelligent third line contributor uh, who might put up 35 to 40 points, right? Just a solid, solid third line player, which is great. Again, getting that in the third round, in, in the fifth round is incredible value. Like you can't complain. However, if teams in the NHL are valuing him based on the player that his production indicates he is, there could be very interesting trades to make there, right? If you like, can flip it, Josh Rowe for a 2023 first round draft pick, you do it. And if I'm making a bet, I think Josh Rowe was values of the highest right now than it will ever be. I agree with that, to be honest. I, so, I, would, I would agree as well. I think I'd be especially curious to see uh, if he plays with uh, Connor Bedard again at the World Juniors and to see if he can leverage that to increase his trade value even more so. But Riley Kidney for me is really the like top of my list there. I just I have so many doubts in, in terms of, of how he's going to translate to the NHL. And he's putting up great numbers in the QMJHL this season, but we see this every single year with many players in the Q who put up great production, but they're not doing it in a way that's actually translatable to pro hockey, let alone NHL hockey, where it's very peripheral, it's very dependent on loose defensive structures. Uh you don't see the pro habits of finding space, attacking open space in the middle of the ice. And well, it's, such, it's such a high scoring league in general that like it, it goes beyond that, right? Of, of, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's high scoring for a reason, right? And Raleigh Kidney uses that, that reason, which is the, the absolute lack of defensive structure That's and what I was saying, yeah. competence, right? And, and, and you, you look at goaltending numbers in the queue and they're almost never really that fantastic. No, no, of course. And but, it, it, it's it's just not a good defensive league. And there's a difference because some players uh, in the queue will produce a lot less, but do it in a projectable way. So guys mm-hmm. like Zachary Dean or um, even Zach Lerreur or... or Lerreur is a good comparison. Or, or, or there are lot, lots of names there whose production isn't as, as, as astounding as Raleigh Kidney's who are far better NHL prospects because they are projectable to the NHL game, right? So much, especially for the QMJHL, there's so much more beyond production in terms of valuing their the NHL value. I find in general, though, when you're looking at a guy who posts numbers, maybe like Kidney has the tendency to post in the queue, you look, and you see numbers that are that impressive on paper, you tend to look into the aspects of his game beyond those numbers on paper because you really want to understand what this player is fully. Whereas when you see a guy more projectable to the NHL in general, it just makes him more readily, easily to see where his game could go and you just kind of draft him based on that reason. And how you look for me, into a player? For me, my bar in Kim JHL with high scoring, it's Maverick, uh, Maverick Bork. Because yeah. when you're putting up two points per game, your defensive game isn't always going to be the best because it's not your focus. That's why Maverick Bork is such a projectable player for me. And that's something that Joshua Wall just absolutely isn't. Uh, like I, th- I think that that, that Joshua Wall is, re- especially relative to Kidney, is relatively projectable to a bottom six NHL role. What I doubt there is the high end upside. I, th- I think that that Kidney and Wall have very similar chances of being second liners. I just don't think that Kidney is going to be, be a bottom six guy at all. Right. I also think like, I've seen Wall play in the AHL as well. It could obviously help to understand a bit of where he could be going or what his play kind of looks like. Because you saw that with Xavier Simonon has been fantastic for the Rockets to start this year. Yeah. Proving that he really can be not maybe not maybe an NHL guy, but at the very least an infrequent call-up and just an AHL regular for years to come for the Canadians. 
Yeah, for sure. But again, like, like the QMJHL is just an, an odd league, right? Like, like, like currently the player that, that leads the league in points is Jordan Dumay, who has 54 points in 24 games as a D plus one, which would scream generational talent, but he's not. No. Right? Don't get me started on Jordan Dumay. Yeah, I, I, I know. But, but like, even you brought up like, oh, Maverick Bork, two points a game. Jordan Dumay is over two points a game right now. Yeah. He's outproducing Conor Bedard right now. But if you're talking about D plus one, I mean, the amount of times I look at like the ECHL top scores and I find a guy like Aaron Lechuk or Justin Brazo and I look at their stats, I'm like, okay, 60. Yeah, but 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 Brazo did that as a 20-year-old, right? <laughs> and Dumay is doing it as an 18-year-old. There's so, a yeah, massive yeah. difference yeah. in junior hockey between between ages, right? That's what I'm saying. D plus one always has that thing with it where see like where the guy's careers go after the fact and you kind of understand that like they're basically it's a man amongst boys or something that you could be that compared not 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 so often as a d plus one at, at, at least unless unless it's like a first round talent right like usually it's 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 like the it's like undrafted nine or 20 year olds that that, that over as you would call it yeah. hockey yeah. right but yeah, so, so Dume is a very interesting case and we talked about him last week uh with with, with mark but the QMJHL is just a very wacky league, and, and yeah. it's, it's one where, at least among North American junior hockey leagues, um, I don't think there's a single league where I trust points less as a reflection on I completely agree with that, to be honest. I completely agree with that. I mean, I, I don't read that much into USHL points, but... Me, me neither. I, I like, 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 USHL is the clear... Like, like of, of the, the four junior North American leagues, it's it's QMJHL at the bottom, then it's uh very clearly the USHL, then there's a massive gap, then it's the OHL, and up top there's the, the WHL. But yeah, it, it's, oh, it's it's interesting just no, just like noting like the differences between leagues, even here in North America among junior players. Are there any other prospects uh, that we can talk about apart from from the QMJHL boys? Yeah, I had an idea. Um, take it with a big grain of salt because I am a type of person that um, when trying to find the pulse of the league and where everything's going, it's like I'm fingering a rock. Um, I just clueless on what people think is good and not in the inside of the league. But one name that I think might be interesting to move, and I don't know if anyone else agrees with me with this, and he's not having a great start in Laval, would be Matthias Norlander. Mm. I, I just don't know how much there. value he still has, right? Like, I, his yeah. value, I think, has fallen off tremendously in the last year. Um, again, if you get a good offer, I, I would be happy to consider it. It's more just... I don't know if you get a single offer. That's the thing, getting an offer. Yeah, it just fell off. So as soon as his confidence fell, it just... Yeah, he, I, he I needs the confidence. Without confidence, yeah. Nolander is nothing. He, 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 he thrives on confidence. And unless he can regain that, I, mean, I don't know. I, I could just be another Josh Brook, honestly, if things go the way that yep. I'm going. Yeah, sure. If there's one blue liner that's... He's he's our biggest boomer bust guy in our system, I think, other than Lane Hudson. It's yeah. James Struble. And if somebody thinks he's going to hit, Struble, that's, they, that's, they would that's take a good point. I haven't thought about Struble in a while, but I've been noticing like his performance in the NCAA has been solid. But it's clear that like his I would say like at least for me, his projection is more akin to like a third pairing defensive guy 
who kind of just plays a solid two-way game occasionally and doesn't really stand out all that much, to be fair. That's what I if see. he hits, he's a three or a four. If he hits, he's a three or four, I would say that, yeah. But, I mean, for me, from what I've seen, I'd say that it's unlikely that that happens. I I, I like Strebel a lot still. I'm, I'm a really big fan of Strebel. Uh, he is a tremendous transition defenseman. I, I don't think a single Habs prospect is better at zone exits than, than Jaden Strebel. Um, he's a, such a dynamic skater and I think he has like really significant offensive up, upside as well. I don't think he's going to be like that defensive shutdown guy by any means. Um, I, I would hang on to him. I, I don't, I don't know how much, like how, how significant his trade value is right now. I think there's more value to be had in just holding on and being patient because the Habs knew this when they drafted him out of high school. This was a long-term project. He has it was, it was tremendous a raw, raw tools. Yeah, raw tools. But he needed to refine them a lot. And this is his final year. He, he, he's a senior in, in, in at Northeastern now. And I think if, if like, hopefully the Habs will sign him, and I, I'm very hopeful they, they, they will, give him like two years in the AHL, and and then maybe you have we will see. Right. Leading on, actually, from the NCAA you were talking about, so I was wondering what your thoughts were maybe on Sean Farrell going into the future, Luke Choker, oh. any forwards that kind of abs have who are going to be uh, still obviously playing, but are going to be factoring into the, into the AHL at least down the road. I I adore Sean Farrell. He's he's Same, going to light I, the AHL. I love he's, Farrell. He's he's going to absolutely light the AHL on fire. Um, again, going like, to have fun in the AHL. I'll say that. Oh yeah, he's, he's, gonna, <laughs> he's gonna toy around with his opposition in the, in the AHL. Uh, Farrell is one of the best playmakers in the Hab system. Um, so intelligent. His off puck movements are genius. Uh, his shot has gotten so much better since his draft year. It's an actual threat on the power play now, which is amazing. Making him a dual threat, which is huge. Um, yeah, so intelligent, great playmaker. Uh, there's a real tenacity there. Uh, there's a real love of the game. I I could watch on Farrell play all day long. I I think he, like he, if he there's a chance he graduates this season, like, like after the season, you give him one year in Laval, and I think you have a top six winger. I, I, I'm very I'm very very hopeful with Sean Farrell. I think the likelihood of him being a second liner is relatively high. Absolutely. Uh, and there's I, also I an off chance like he, he, I mean, he, uh, he could be a complimentary player on a, on a first line, right? This is a, show lot, in the dark, but, uh, a lot of teams do this, right? Like where they have mm-hmm. like two stars on the first line and then a complimentary guy, right? Like, like Brian Rust in Pittsburgh or Michael Bunting, Michael Bunting. Or Zach Hyman, right? Like you see this a lot of like complimentary, intelligent players with some grit. And Sean Farrell is smaller, but he plays with tenacity and grit. Uh, he could be that perfect player to complement elite line base because he thinks the game at an elite level and he can pass at an elite level. And if you can do those two things, you can hang with top lines, right? Christ, and- I, uh, I, want, I just kind of was shown in the road, but I just imagine the Habs getting Matt Coronado and just having to get in there to get Caulfield in situation because of how well those two have been playing together. Harvard. That'd be very fun. I, I, I quite like uh, Coronado as well. Um, He's my favorite system. Yeah, I would say Dustin too. So Wolf, too is, uh... I, I prefer Dustin Wolf personally. No, I, I wasn't counting goalies. I was. <laughs> Dustin Wolf, Dustin Wolf. We, we raved about his stats in the WHL, and he's yep. been more in the AHL. He's been, he's been tremendous. And it's it's going to be interesting to see how he projects with, uh, obviously, 
Markstrom at the top right there holding on starters job if he's going to play one B or it's going to be like Spencer Knight with Bobrovsky. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, the Calgary is taking their time with Wolf, right? Like he they they have every right. They, they really should, to be honest, because they have yeah. such a good AHL system. Yeah, I, I, I say I, they I, have uh, they have Matthew Phillips, who's one of the top scorers in the entire. I age. love Matthew. He he is the, he is the top scorer in the AHL. Yeah, he's the top, I, he's, I, I I made a post on Twitter two days ago about <laughs> about Matthew Phillips and got some of the weirdest responses I was not expecting whatsoever. With um, absolutely no context, I was able to guess who it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, Matt Matthew Phillips is, is really intelligent, really skilled, really shifty, uh, very small. And he hasn't gotten an NHL shot. He's played one game in his career. That's what I'm saying. The, and, the and, and, he, and he deserves a shot. He passed through waivers at the beginning of the season. I don't I don't believe he should have passed through waivers. I think a team should have picked him up, but no one did. And I, I made that post just kind of alluding to, to Matthew Phillips dominating dominant start in the AHL this season. And I got a very wide range of comments ranging from, Oh, no NHL team claimed this guy. He's obviously terrible. Uh, and then basically calling me stupid for thinking that he deserved an NHL shot because apparently he didn't believe that market inefficiencies exist. So sure, buddy. I mean, if that's your thing, fine. And then another person said, "Oh no, Matthew Phillips is the top is a, a top prospect in in Calgary system, and the only reason he passed through waivers is because of the gentleman's agreement to not claim each other's top prospects." It's like he's twenty four years old. You're yeah, he's... like like I, mean, I love Chris... Matthew Phillips. You're not a top prospect, and there's not going to be a gentleman's agreement to not pick a twenty. Like last season, he was twenty three. He went he went a point a game in the AHL, which is good, but you're not at the level of. Of, of of not claiming due to a gentleman's agreement between well, no, but the, like the, the flames have just like I don't know I've seen a lot of pensions of age guys who like have the potential and have showcased the production that Phillips has showcased and they just never really find themselves into the NHL job. So I'm kind of hopeful that things will change with that because I've seen guys like Morgan Klimchuk, who was a first round pick of the Flames in 2013. He played a couple of years in their system, played really well, put a back to back 40 point seasons, got one game and then left and was never heard from again. Yeah. So I, I, I don't want Phillips to, I'd like to not see Phillips become another casualty of those. AHL guys like Charles Hill, who are so talented in the AHL and just they never quite put it together when they're given the shot in the uh, in, in the show. I mean, to not put it together being given a shot, you have to be given a shot first. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I think on, on that note, we can shift the discussion, sticking with prospects, but to the World Juniors. And the big question with the World Juniors is, do the Habs send Yuri Sivkovsky? Firstly, do you think they should? Yes. Do you think they should? And do you think they will? I think they should. Yes, I think they will yes and yes. <laughs> I, I, I think, think they, they should. Uh, I would say I'm going to keep... I think the thing about Slavkowski with just the world is that, like, obviously it's the right move, but I just think with the way, like, the Canadians are in the thick of things right now, we kind of have to wait till things develop a bit more of the season to see what they ultimately choose to do. But I think absolutely it's the right move. And I feel like with how well he played at, like, the... I believe it was the Olympics. So how well he played the Olympics with seven goals in seven games. I think it'd just be a, even more of a showcase to show what this kid really do at the uh, top level. The only reason I think they wouldn't mm-hmm. is if Shane Wright goes and tears up the tournament, it does not look good for us. Fair. Fair. For sure. Like, like there, there is that risk, but you have to also trust the skill of your first overall pick. Right, you cannot 
decide to not send him to the World Juniors because you're afraid he won't look good, right? I oh, I don't think management's afraid. I think they're afraid of what fans are going to think. But even then, you can't you, you you can't make your decisions on the development of a of your top prospect based on what you, you also think you, you can't do anything based on appearances. That's old. That's burgeoning tactics we're talking yeah. about. And things based on appearances, you're doing things based on how well you look or something like that. Like that's how we got Carl Alsner. But he panicked in the free agency period and he's like, crap, I haven't signed anybody. So he just signed this guy out of the blue and then look where he ended up five years later. Yeah, pretty much. I, I, I also think that the Habs should sign, uh, send staff to the World Junior Championship. Um, but I don't think they will. I think they're going to keep him with the NHL team. I think they want to have as tight of a grasp on, on his development as they possibly can. Which I understand, but I disagree with their their tactics of doing it. Um, I hope I, I I do hope I'm wrong here. I I, I really do want to see Slavkovsky dominate the World Juniors. I think that'd be very very fun. But on a line with like Dvorsky and Meshar. Yeah, mm. I'd love to see him and Meshar play together. That'd be lovely. By the way, that could be another factor in sending him is that he would be playing with Meshar. True. Yeah, for sure. Meshar's looked great so far in junior. He's sl- he's slowed down. He's slowed down quite a bit in terms of production. Um, he's he's down to around a point a game, uh, which is not really where you want him to be. But Kitchener is a bad team. Kitchener is a very very bad so team. bad. And I, I'm not I'm not worried about Meshar. Meshar has pro level habits. Like every time I've watched him, even when he's not scoring points uh, for Kitchener, he's looking like a pro. He's finding open space. He's driving the middle. He's creating space for his teammates. Uh, He's playing with intensity. Uh, he's making the right reads. He's skating well. Like he 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 looks like a player that's been playing pro for the last few seasons and is now in a junior league. But the production hasn't quite replicated that since the first week and a half of his his time in the OHL. But uh, yeah, and I think on that note, we are going to have a quick little ad read. Do you think Slavkovsky is heading to the World Juniors? Hopefully, he'll tear up the tournaments for Slovakia. Want to bet on it? DraftKings Sportsbook is the place to do it. Hockey fans, lay the lamp this winter with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet just five dollars pregame money line on any NHL team and win their and win their to win their game and get hundred and fifty dollars in free bets if they do. If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger payouts with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shots and an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right. And now uh, let's discuss some, I guess, trade brainstorms. Who, what players around the league do you think the Habs could buy low on and trade for? Sonny Milano. They should have claimed him as... as, as they, they absolutely, they absolutely should have claimed him. They should have... I like, I if, you're, if you're like a high, like a buy-low player, Milano's been really impressive so far, at least for me personally. He's been really impressive in Washington. He's really fit into like a second-run role on that team, kind of out of the blue, because he went from being an Asian contributor to an injury call-up to now a guy that looks like he could stick around. And I think leading on from that, if you're looking for another guy who's kind of signed for a bit cheaper, who's been playing really well in fourth minutes, is Daniel Sprong. I've been really impressed by the way Sprong's been playing. Daniel Sprong was my guy. He stole, oh, he stole my guy. 
Damn it. <laughs> I was, well, the one thing I've just been noticing is I watched the Kraken's games. The Kraken obviously had their 9A win yesterday. Spron's been playing four flying, even strength minutes, and he has 13 points in 14 games. And it just goes to show yeah. how yeah. offensively pure and talented this guy can be. And I feel like every time I've seen Spron play in the NHL, he's played really well. It's just that he's never really been given an opportunity to be anything more than a bottom six guy. Over the last three seasons, Daniel Sprong is sixth in the NHL in goals per 60 at even strength. Just take take a second to think about that. Sixth in the entire league in goals per 60 minutes at even strength. He, like, look, he's probably not going to be a top-line guy or anything. Like, like that. that's fine. But just as a depth contributor, at the same time, the Habs have a lot of depth on the wings. Uh, we have way too much depth on the wings. We have to move some bodies out. However, if if they're able to 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 move guys like Hoffman or Drouet or uh, I don't know Anderson even uh, or Dadanov, you're freeing up spots there that where you can make very very interesting high value ads. And I think that that Sprong and Milano are two excellent ones. Uh, so, so Scott, I, I I couldn't agree more on those two names. So I have one that I didn't have six hours ago, but I just did a viewing of um, uh, a guy that isn't even in the NHL, but should be in Riley Tufty from Dallas, who would be an instant upgrade over Michael Pizzetta. I would give him the edge over Rempit, like totally different style of game. But I think he'd be the perfect guy to have in our bottom six because he's pretty fast. He's fantastic defensively and he's six foot six. So that I don't think and he is big. We could have him. We could have him for nothing. Mm. Yeah, N- not bad. Not bad. I feel like leaning into the AHL is honestly a good pick because there's like there's so many guys I could. Pick. I mean, the other guy we we were just talking about Matthew Phillips, right? Like that would yeah, be too. great. A great acquisition. Um, there there are so many options, but again, like the have the haves are like it, it's tough to talk about a high like 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 good value adds when. The Habs are have a bit of a logjam in terms of of fourth line caliber players and third pairing caliber players, right? Like we lack the good players, like the actual top half of the lineup, rather than bottom of the lineup pillars who are filling out our entire lineup. I will say if there's what one other guy things? that I uh, do want to just like throw to the wind here again, if we're going back to like the AHL and Matthew Phillips, Alex Berboulet's value is now rock bottom in Tampa. That's and- true. Have to jump on him if I'm if I'm the Canadian. I like him too. Berbule, when I when he was signed by the Lightning, I thought, okay, there's no way the Habs are going to get this guy for a while because obviously I knew the potential he had and he was fantastic and he's been one of the best players in the AHL for the past five seasons or so. And then as time has gone on and he's lost his role in Tampa, he's just an AHL player now. And if the Habs can turn him into something actually potentially as an NHL player, a more promising guy, that'd be I think it'd be really interesting low low value pickup because he could probably just trade a fifth round pick and like a guy like Tyson Malonic for him, just throwing a random player out there. I mean, there's, there's no point in being a fifth-round pick and Tyson Lalek for a guy that's passed through waivers three times or four yes. times a <laughs> year. Like, I, that, 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 that's just throwing value into the wind for nothing. Uh, I'm sure you could, you, you could do a, a type of depth trade just like the Habs made with Cam Hillis for Nick Boudin. Like, you could, or, you could or, trade or the HL body for him. Like, mm-hmm. like you, you, could, you could move a guy like, I don't know. You can try to move a guy like, even like, like Tori Dello, who's been good this season. Is Dublin signed to the Canadians? Forward, right, like you can. I'm, I'm sure they could figure something out like that. Uh, but Josh, <laughs> what players are you thinking of? 
Yeah, I'll stick with the NHL because I think that's interesting because there's a name that we've brought up, I think, multiple times on the podcast I still think would fit well. And I think I, he fits well now that the old regime is out. I would be a bit more uh, questioning because I feel like he could end up being like a uh, Jonathan Drouin type of situation. That would be Yessi Pugliarvi from Edmonton absolutely like he's he is at his lowest I think he's got uh one goal five points 22 games this season there's not a spot for him in Edmonton anymore and I think he's always struck me as a guy that could really hit it off if he has a change of scenery and just I think I could see like a Joel Edmondson in a in a Edmonton Oilers uniform and I maybe add it a little bit, but I think he would be an interesting skill guy to throw into that middle six to see if he can spark something that um, has been a bit missing. Especially if you're, if you're dealing with Edmonton and you're offering up Joel Edmondson, you're getting Pugliarvi and significantly more. Like yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I think that that Edmondson carries a decent amount of value, despite his rough start. Like, like he's not been good this season, and I don't think anyone in the NHL thinks that he has been good this season. But he has had that the, the track record of winning a Stanley Cup, then going to a Cup final, and being that shut down, physical, dependable defenseman. That, he's exactly what Edmonton wants or yeah. thinks they want. Like I, I think the, the same can be said about Ottawa as well. I think, I think both Ottawa and Edmonton would be very interesting trade scenarios for Joel Edmondson. So keeping that in Canada, I think would, would make a lot of sense, but yeah, Pugliarvi would be awesome. I, I really like yeah. especially if one thing that I flip Josh Anderson and then have him and then have Pugliarvi as your Anderson replacement. Instant upgrade. One, no question. One thing that I'd be looking at pretty hard right now is what LA would be willing to give up to get rid of uh, Cal Peterson's contract. Ooh, how long is that contract? Two more years at five million. That's a like doozy. If, that is a doozy. I I don't. I mean, if there's a first in there, but I I'd assume it'd be like a second. And for a second round pick, he he could be a goalie for us. And like I I think they'd be pretty motivated to just clear up the room because they have guys they need to sign. Things, I, like, I don't think I would make that trade for a second. Would you do it for a first? Yeah. I mean, like for a first, you'd, you, you'd figure something out, right? Like for a first, then, then you, you see if you, can, if you can flip Jake Allen for profit and maybe get like a second round pick for Jake Allen and then add Cal Peterson. And then in the end, you net gain in terms of cap space for the next two seasons is only what, like 1.2 million, which isn't, Awful. Yeah, one one point one five million. Yeah, and it's for one more year. It's for one year. Oh, well, oh, okay, okay, one year. Well, it's this year and next, I believe. Okay, okay. I mean, yeah, okay, for for, for a first round pick without without question, especially if it's a a twenty twenty three pick. Um, yeah, that, that that'd they, be an interesting scenario for sure. If they want to go with it one more time with the score, they need that five million dollars. Oh, for sure, they definitely do. And I mean, they, they made that trade for, for Fiala, so they definitely are interested in competing. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, I hadn't thought of that. 
As I mean, he, uh, Peterson got placed on waivers today. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. Interesting. All right. And um, last but not least, uh, for actually, no, sorry, sorry. Uh, we have one, one more discussion segment. But first, I'm going to pass the mic over to Joshua Rosa for this day in Habs history. Take it away. On this day, the year of our Lord, 1990, in Ilava, Czechoslovakia, Thomas Tatar was born. Tatar was drafted 60th overall by the Detroit Red Wings, but was sold to the all-in rookie Vegas Golden Knights for three draft picks. However, he did not gel well with those underdogs and was later involved in one of the best trades in modern Montreal Canadiens history when he and some prospect named Nick Suzuki was traded along with a draft pick that was later traded and became Matthias Norlander and went to Montreal for current captain Max Pacioretty. Is there really anything left to say about this trade? It was just a slam dunk then, and it's even gotten better now. Tatar is the most successful current Slovak player, but has a lot of work to catch up with greats Peter Statsny, Marian Gabrik, Peter Bondra, and the Slovak-born but Canadian-raised Stan Mikita. Now, here's a question. Who remembers Gustav Olofsson? Okay, that might be a little bit cruel. (laughs) But the defender, he played only three games with Montreal in 2019-20, but he was born on this day in Boras, Sweden. He was drafted by Minnesota and has played 60 games without registering a goal in his career. That is the second longest current streak only behind Buffalo Sabres defender Matthias Samuelson. Who signed a, what, 20 plus million dollar contract? $30 million. Exactly $30 million. For 63 games without a goal. That's uh, something. The dubious all-time record holder is Stephen Halko, who played 155 career games without registering a goal. The list of scoreless players is populated mostly by obscure names like Matt Smabby and Brett Festerling and Gordy Dwyer. But the player with the third most games played without while finishing with zero career goals is a name that you might be familiar with, and that is Dallas Eakins, current Anaheim Ducks and former Edmonton Oilers head coach. And finally, in 1997, the Montreal Canadiens played the very first 5,000th game in a franchise in NHL history as the oldest franchise in the league, and they celebrated it by getting shut out by the Pittsburgh Penguins with the only goal coming from the best hair in the game, Yaramir Yager. How crazy is that? He was playing and scoring in 1997. I was one year old, and he was still playing in 2018 in the NHL. Just absurd. Oh, I can't hear you. He's had a legendary career. Uh, yeah. Had my mic muted. That would do it. <laughs> uh, thank you, Josh. Uh, and for the last segment, just a, a quick little roundtable discussion. How many goals and points uh, do you expect the entire Habs top line to get? So individually for Caulfield, Suzuki, and Kirby Duck. How many so, goals? How many points? I'll start off with Suzuki. 
I think Suzuki will score 32 goals and add 53 assists for 85 points. I am I'm committed to the Suzuki point per game season. Then on Caulfield, 37 goals, 34 assists for 71 points. And then for Kirby Dock, 13 goals, 49 assists for 62 points. All right. All right. Not bad. I, I'm, I'm an optimist. You are. You are. I'm, I'm, I'm more optimistic than you because it is just production. Uh, and I think that this top line, while I don't think their possession metrics are going to look particularly good, I do think that, that, that they will be overshooting their expected goals for the entire season. Not at the same level as they are now, but still. I think that Cole Coffey is going to finish the season with 43 goals. And uh, let's go with 71 points. Uh, Nick Suzuki, uh, 36 goals and 75 points. And Kirby Doc, I'm going to go 12 goals, so one less than you, and 58 points. Uh, and if, if that were to happen, I'd be very happy. That would be a very, very, very successful season offensively for that top line. And uh, yeah, fun to watch. Yeah, I don't have too much difference. Um, yeah, there's no question that Suzuki is score, scoring goals at a 44 goal per uh, per season rate is going to go down because he has that stupid shot percentage that will go down unless it doesn't. Who knows? Unless it doesn't. <laughs> unless it doesn't. Um, yeah, I think there's a very good chance that Caulfield breaks 40 this year. Yeah, I agree. would be incredible, and I'm uh, all aboard that. I'll say like 44, nice round. Um, and I think if Doc stays up there with that line, uh, I think he can. I think we're looking at over 60 for him, in my opinion, maybe 15 and uh, 65 about there. Um, yeah, and then point per game for sure for Nick Suzuki, 82 to 90, even maybe if they keep if they keep playing like this, he can hit 90. I think this year. I'd love to see it. Be very, very fun. And I think that wraps up this episode where we, we kept it a little bit shorter uh, because we are all very tired and uh, it wasn't necessarily the most eventful week in Habsland. So, yeah. So thank you very much, uh, Josh and Aaron, for joining. Uh, thanks again for Scott to Scott for joining earlier on in the episode. And we'll see you again next week. Expression